Chapter Fifty of the Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Egoist by George Meredith, Chapter Fifty. Upon which the curtain falls. Plain sense upon the marriage question is my demand upon man and woman for the stopping of many a tragedy. These were Dr. Middleton's words in reply to Willoughby's brief explanation. He did not say that he had shown it parentally while the tragedy was threatening, or at least there was danger of a precipitate descent from the levels of comedy. The parents of hymeneal men and women he was indisposed to consider as dramatis personae nor did he mention certain sympathetic regrets he entertained in contemplation of the health of mr dale for whom poor gentleman the proffer of a bottle of the pattern port would be an egregious mockery he paced about anxious for his departure and seeming better pleased with the society of colonel de Cray than with that of any of the others colonel de Cray assiduously courted him was anecdotal deferential charmingly vivacious the very man the reverend doctor liked for company when plunged in the bustle of the preliminaries to a journey. "'You would be a cheerful travelling comrade, sir,' he remarked, and spoke of his doom to lead his daughter over the Alps and Alpine lakes for the summer months. Strange to tell, the Alps for the summer months was a settled project of the colonel's. And thence Dr. Middleton was to be hauled along to the habitable quarters of North Italy in high summer tide, that also had been traced for a route on the map of colonel de Cray. we are started in june i am informed said dr middleton june by miracle was the month the colonel had fixed upon i trust we shall meet sir said he i would gladly reckon it in my catalogue of pleasures the reverend doctor responded for in good sooth it is conjecturable that i shall be left very much alone paris strasbourg bal the colonel inquired the lake of constance i am told said dr middleton colonel de Cray spied eagerly for an opportunity of exchanging a pair of syllables with the third and fairest party of this glorious expedition to come willoughby met him and rewarded the colonel's frankness in stating that he was on the lookout for miss middleton to take his leave of her by furnishing him the occasion he conducted his friend Horace to the blue room, where Clara and Letitia were seated, circling a half-embrace with a brook of chatter, and contrived an excuse for leading Letitia forth. Some minutes later Mrs. Mountstuart called aloud for the colonel to drive him away. Willoughby, whose good offices were unabated by the services he performed to each in rotation, ushered her to the blue room, hearing her say, as she stood at the entrance, is the man coming to spend a day with me with a face like that she was met and detained by clara de Cray came out what are you thinking of said willoughby i was thinking said the colonel of developing a heart like you and taking to think of others at last eh you are a true friend willoughby a true friend and a cousin to boot what has clara been communicative the itinerary of a voyage miss middleton is going to make 
Do you join them? Why, it would be delightful, Willoughby. But it happens I've got a lot of powder I want to let off, and so I have an idea of shouldering my gun along the sea-coast and shooting girls, which will be a harmless form of committing patricide and matricide and fratricide, for there's my family and I come of it, the girl, and I have to talk lively to Mrs. Mountstuart for something like a matter of twelve hours, calculating that she goes to bed at midnight, and I wouldn't bet on it. Such is the energy of ladies of that age. Willoughby scorned the man who could not conceal a blow, even though he joked over his discomfiture. Gull, he muttered. A bird that's easy to be had, and better for stuffing than for eating, said D. Cray. You'll miss your cousin. I have, replied Willoughby, one fully equal to supplying his place. There was confusion in the hall for a time, and an assembly of the household to witness the departure of Dr. Middleton and his daughter. Vernon had been driven off by Dr. Corney, who further recommended rest for Mr. Dale, and promised to keep an eye for Crossjay along the road. "'I think you will find him at the station, and if you do, command him to come straight back here,' Letitia said to Clara. The answer was an affectionate squeeze, and Clara's hand was extended to Willoughby, who bowed over it with perfect courtesy, bidding her adieu. So the knot was cut, and the next carriage to Dr. Middleton's was Mrs. Mountstuart's, conveying the great lady and Colonel D. Cray. "'I beg you not to wear that face with me,' she said to him. "'I have had to dissemble, which I hate, and I have quite enough to endure, and I must be amused.' or I shall run away from you and enlist that little countryman of yours, and him I can count on to be professionally restorative. Who can fathom the heart of a girl? Here is Lady Bush right once more. And I was wrong. She must be a gambler by nature. I never should have risked with a guess as that. Colonel D. Cray, you lengthen your face preternaturally. You distort it purposely. Ma'am, returned D. Cray, the boast of our army is never to know when we are beaten, and that tells of a great-hearted soldiery. But there is a field where the Briton must own his defeat, whether smiling or crying, and I am not so sure that a short howl doesn't do him honour. She was, I am certain, in love with Vernon Whitford all along, Colonel de Cray. Ah, the Colonel drank it in. I have learnt that it was not the gentleman in whom I am chiefly interested, so it was not so hard for the lady to vow to friend Willoughby she would marry no one else? Girls are unfathomable, and Lady Bush, I know she did not go by character, shot one of her random guesses, and she triumphs. We shall never hear the last of it, and I had all the opportunities. I am bound to confess I had. Did you by chance, ma'am, De Grey said with a twinkle, drop a hint to willoughby of her turn for vernon whitford no said mrs mountstuart i'm not a mischief-maker and the policy of the country is to keep him in love with himself or pattern will be likely to be as dull as it was without a lady enthroned when his bride is at ease he's a prince i can read men now colonel de Cray, pray be lively i should have been livelier i'm afraid if you had dropped a bit of a hint to Willoughby. But you are the magnanimous person, ma'am, and revenge for a stroke in the game of love shows us unworthy to win. 
Mrs. Mountstuart menaced him with her parasol. I forbid sentiments, Colonel D. Cray. They are always followed by sighs. Grant me five minutes of inward retirement, and I'll come out formed for your commands, ma'am, said he. Before the termination of that space, D. Cray was enchanting Mrs. Mountstuart, and she, in consequence, was restored to her natural wit. So, and much so, universally, the world of his dread and his unconscious worship wagged over Sir Willoughby Pattern and his change of brides, until the preparations for the festivities of the marriage flushed him in his country's eyes to something of the splendid glow he had worn on the great day of his majority. That was upon the season when two lovers met between the Swiss and Tyrol Alps over the lake of Constance. Sitting beside them, the comic news is grave and sisterly. But taking a glance at the others of a late company of actors, she compresses her lips. End of chapter 50 End of The Egoist by George Meredith